0: All right, well, good morning, men. It is a blessing to wake up early in the morning uh, with God's men ready to look into God's Word, and I thank you all for being here early and for continuing to press on in this in this class. Um, let me open in prayer, and then we'll I get into the content for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever you created each of us in your image and you have called us to uh, work in this world to toil and labor and you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in christ and i thank you for each of these brothers uh, that are gathered here this morning um, and i pray that you would instruct us this morning uh, from your word give us hearts grant us the blessing of hearts filled with awe and worship that overflows into uh, the gathering of worship of god's people and i pray that you would help us to look to your word this morning understand the uh, see an appreciation for uh, your worship and our duty to worship and also how we uh, can lead others likewise as leaders in the church Uh, bless our time this morning in jesus name we pray amen okay well guys uh, thank you for being here A couple things I want to uh, highlight for you before we jump into the topic for today. Um, We're in leadership training, obviously, um, and each of you are here because you've either been self-nominated, nominated nominated by the session, or nominated by somebody in the congregation that you should at least think about leadership in the church. And uh, the session's job, and we'll talk about this uh, later on in the in the class about how this process works, but the session's job right now, um, after the nominations, are to go about the process of certifying men um, as to their qualifications for office, and that goes two ways. Number one, you get trained, so that's what we're doing, and this is not necessarily exhaustive, but it's a a big picture um, principles. Uh, that help to guide us. It's not all the knowledge you would need to to serve in the church, but I think it's a good uh, foundation and overview. And the second part of what's going on here is your and our discerning of God's call on your heart. Um, so we believe uh, strongly that all we do uh, as a congregation and, uh, and as elders is uh, when we call the congregation to vote uh, to elect an officer in the church is to simply just recognize what God is doing and hopefully not mess up what God's doing. We tend to work against God in, in different times because of our sin. And what we're trying to do as leaders in the church is just acknowledge what God's already done in, in a man's heart and then make it official. Okay? So how does that play out practically? Right now, each of you uh and Kyle and I committed to each other that we need to remind you of this every week going forward. Each of you need to be praying after each session and through the week, through this period of 10 to 12 weeks, 14 weeks, whatever it ends up being, um, for God to make clear to you what God is doing in your heart. Uh, And if he's calling you to serve in general, that's a good question. But what you need to be asking is, God, are you calling me to serve as an elder or a deacon in this church at this time, in this church at this time? And I believe year over year and experience over experience, if you pray to God for that kind of clarity, specific clarity, then He will bring conviction of the heart in such a way that um, you won't believe that there's anything else that you can do if God's calling you to that at this specific time. So um, dig deep on your knees as we go forward and ask for that discernment, ask for that understanding. Um, Others will come alongside you. You may, be, you may find yourself in a situation where you feel like God's calling you and nobody else does. You may be misled <laughs> or misunderstood. But uh, all those things coming together uh, is, should be God's clear call of conviction in your heart. So pray to that end as we, as we press on here. Um, let's talk about leadership in the church, uh, kind of where we are. So uh, if you remember the overview that we handed out at the beginning... We were into a a section of about five weeks of doctrine, and not an exhaustive, uh, in-depth look at doctrine, but enough to give you a big picture of where we're going. Um, We had a week we missed on the doctrine of man, doctrine of sin, and doctrine of Christ, which I hope is well understood now, and we hit that quite a bit in our discussion of the law two weeks ago. We might go back to that um, at the end, uh, but we're going to press on now. Uh, And we're entering today into the next section called the growth of a healthy church. Um, Foundational to the growth of a healthy church is God's working, as we talked about in the law two weeks ago, God's working in men and women's hearts to change them to desire his purposes instead of our own in spite of our sin. Um, So how does the church, again, our goal as leaders in the church is to work alongside what God is doing and through the means he uses anyway, um, to help make that happen. Uh, and central to that is worship and discipleship. Um, and so we're going to talk about worship. Um, it's what we do. It's what, it's the most important thing we do. Uh, today we're going to talk about worship and discipleship and how those things uh, produce fruit um, through the, through God's work in our hearts and the, in the lives of, of a believer. And then perhaps next week, um, it depends on, I think, what happens with... Um, Johnny's livestock order. <laughs> um, it depends on the timing about, about certain things that are happening in, in Jim's schedule. Uh, the other part is outward face. That's either going to be next week or it's going to be the next week, and we'll do a flip-flop. But either way, what do we do inside these doors, and then what do we do as we turn around? So we, every week we have this rhythm. I talk about it all the time, right? We're up from the front. We, we come and we worship, um, and we get right with God. We worship God. We orient ourselves toward God, praising Him we're filled up with God's Word, and then we leave this place and we turn and go out. And so that is when all of you leave the church, and Jim's going to talk about it more, when all of you walk out of the doors of the church and turn around, your face is now not inward but outward. And that makes up some of the, and the majority I would argue, the outward face of the church. And that's what Jim's going to talk about. Members going out, and then what does the church do as a body as well, facing outwardly, taking what we do here, and hopefully encouraging others to do the same thing in other places and by God's grace, the kingdom advancing through missionaries and church planters and and all the things that we invest in to to push God's kingdom out into the world. So what we do internal is today, worship and discipleship, and then outward face. And that's how healthy churches grow. But it all starts with the foundation of worship. So um, I'm going to walk through with you... Confession of Faith. We're in Confession of Faith chapter 21. Uh, I'm going to read a couple things from David Hall, but I want to just walk through these as Kyle did last week. And I like to put it up here so that we can um, g- grapple with the words a little bit. Um, the Confession of Faith chapter 21, a few sections that talk about uh, worship. And so we're going to use this to set the stage to look at these three position papers I put up here. So if you didn't, if you walked in a minute or two late, you didn't get a paper, um, guys, can you just maybe grab those three handfuls, and put them back on the chair and the guys that didn't get one. Uh, Kyle emailed these out, but I'd like to have them in your hands today. Okay. Confession of Faith, chapter 21, verse, or uh, not verse, (laughs) 21, section 1. The light of nature shows that there is a God. "...who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is good, and doeth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart, and with all the soul, and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping, worshiping the true God is instituted by Himself, and so limited by His own to His own revealed will, will that He may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men, or the suggestions of Satan." Under any visible representations or any other way prescribed, not in in any other way, not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Um, So, first, God makes himself known to us, the psalmist says, in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? Those of you who are in the parenting class, Paul David Tripp last spring spoke about the foundation for good parenting is to first foster in your own heart an awe for God. And then from that, help your kids catch that same bug. And as, as leaders in the church, that's what we're to do too. When we gather, the elders gather in the morning this morning um, at 7 o'clock, we pray for many things. But the first thing we pray for, and when we gather down in the vestry to the left before the call to worship, we gather and we pray and ask God to fill us up first with a spirit of praise and worship. Give us hearts filled with worship so that we can lead others to do the same. Um, Paul David Tripp talks about in parenting help your kids see the glory of God in all the little details of the things going around you and to do that you have to first see those things yourself and be excited about them and be grateful for God to God for giving us the beauty of creation I was um, over the past two days Dare and I were helping some dear friends with their wedding And through a various course of events that I won't explain now, it's funny how God works, I ended up, Adair and I were florists for the past two days. And I was a florist assistant because I have no skills other than doing whatever the the primary florist, which was Adair, um, did. And we had ourselves hundreds of roses and snapdragons. I didn't know what those were until yesterday or the day before. Um, uh, we had eucalyptus. Anybody ever know? Everybody heard eucalyptus before? You know, you hear about it and uh, it's like oil and stuff. Well, there's a, it's a beautiful plant. If you crush it and smell it, it just opens your whole senses up to just like this awakening. It's a beautiful kind of piney smelling little plant. And there was other little pink flowers, and which I can't remember the name of. Um, and trimmings from our backyard actually as well not grass but shrubs and things but the thing that was the most amazing was my primary job in this for about three hours on Saturday was to take you know 200 roses and pull them out take the little plastic off they're covered with thorns and take this little thing and strip them strip the thorns off and there's all these little leaves pluck them off and then take the rose and then pull the little outside petals off and then there's these little green things around the bottom called steeples pull those off and then what you end up with is a nice clean green stem and this beautiful little velvety white in this case white and some blush um petals that are the flower of the rose and those things were made you know used then to make boutonnieres and bouquets and corsages and all these things and i've never until yesterday i've never paid that much attention to a rose before and I was as I was trimming the thing it's like I told Adair it's kind of like you know there's certain this is going to sound gross but there's certain satisfaction that comes from like plucking hairs out of your eyebrows or your ears or wherever they go grow when you get older Um, and it was pruning a rose it was had a similar satisfaction you're taking something you're pulling the bad things off and in so doing you're making it more beautiful but what you're looking at, I've never paid that much attention when you see it why in the world did God make a rose? I mean, it is the most beautiful, delicate thing that you could where, could... where does that come from? Only from the mind of God. And what does it show forth? God's glory. It's just a thing of beauty is, all that I, is the only way that I can, can explain it. And I've, you know, I've been around flowers. We, there was flowers when we got married. And for the most part, they were just in the background. And you never pay attention. And I was thinking, it's kind of chuckled, the lesson is stop and, thank you, stop and smell the roses, or at least stop and look at the roses, right, and notice the detail that God designed into them and made beautiful. And that's nothing other than the glory of God shown forth and what he has made. Um, So stop and take notice, and don't knock your computer when you're overwhelmed with excitement for the roses well that'll come back in a minute okay um now first it says to recognize God in creation and to worship him the second part of that answer is or that that statement is that we are to worship God in the way that he tells us to in scripture Um, we'll talk about that in a second in our in our um, in our paper let me see if this thing will wake back up Absolutely is. Okay. That's right, the regular principle. All right. We'll just do this. Yeah, hanging from the rock. Okay. Back to life. I won't knock that again. Okay, regulative principle, that's correct. So the regulative principle says that um, we're to worship God uh, in our worship service, between the call to worship and the benediction, in the way that God prescribes, tells us to, in no other way, in Scripture. Um, And we're going to unpack that a little bit as we go. Um, So section two, religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to Him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature, and since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. So We can approach God in Christ. Um, That should be understood through our understanding of doctrine. Um, Jump into section five. The reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and conscionable hearing of the word in obedience unto God with understanding, faith, and reverence. Singing of psalms with grace in the heart is also the due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments. Notice the way the the confession's language. Everything that happens in worship, there's there's a receiving side to it. Okay, so worship is not a passive activity. There's something happening from the front and there's something happening from the pew. Okay, so anytime that there's a proclaiming of God's word, there's a, there's a conscionable hearing of the word. Your job is to hear if somebody's preaching. Um, if, if there's an administration of the sacrament, there's a worthy receiving of the, of the sacrament instituted by Christ. Um, all these things are parts of the ordinary religious worship of God um, besides also religious oaths, vows, solemn fasting, and thanksgiving upon several occasions, which are in their several times and seasons to be used in a holy and religious manner. Okay, we'll look at that in a minute. I want to get this, this foundation in place. Um, okay, six. Neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now under the gospel either tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed. Okay, there's not a, uh, a, a New Testament uh, temple. Um, And there's nothing special about the building. The church is the the place where the the people of God are gathered. Um, God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth. Uh, All of life is worship, um, but it's not the only thing. Um, As in private families, daily and in secret, each one by himself. So more solemnly in the public assemblies, which are not carelessly or willfully to be neglected or forsaken. When God, by his word or providence, calleth, Thereunto. So we should have hearts filled with worship um, in all of God everywhere that we are and with our families daily at home. Um, but God, through his elders, calls worship services. And here, the, here, are, here are the writers of the confession are reminding us that these calls through the elders by God, from God to worship, together worship, should not be neglected or forsaken. Um, should not be neglected or forsaken. Section 7, as it is of the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God. So in his word, by a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath. So we talked about the law, we talked about no portion of the moral law a few weeks ago being abrogated. So the call to the Sabbath day still exists for all time. Um, and the Sabbath is to be kept holy unto Him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed to the first day of week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. So remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, we now remember, um, we, n- we now keep the Lord's Day uh, holy in the same way. Now, the Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord, which men after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Okay, so as elders in the church, uh, deacons as well, um, one of the things that you consider is you take a vow, do you Uh, accept the doctrines and principles of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. And there's a difference, Kyle spoke about it last week, there's a difference between the vow that you take as a member, do you believe these are founded upon Scripture, and the vow that you take as an officer in the church, do you you believe that these are founded on Scripture, and do they reflect your own conviction? That's the difference. Okay, And I I raised my hand a couple uh, last week, and Encouraged anybody that wants to talk to me about that um, uh, one-on-one to reach out. A couple of you already have and we will talk. Anybody else that wants to, to reach out to me, I'd love to, to unpack some of that with you um, or any of the other elders would be happy to do that as well. Um, so what does this mean in terms of the Sabbath? The most common if you're in a, if you're in a presbytery uh, ordination exam or even an, exam for, uh, an oral exam for elders or deacons and talk about Okay. Do you guys have any? Do you have any exceptions to the Westminster Standards? Usually, uh, there's all uh, you hear it all the time. Uh, I take an exception to the Confessions language regarding recreation on the Sabbath because I want to take a walk with my wife after church on Sunday. Now, um, I want to say refer back to my discussion to my discussion on Christian liberty. Um, however. Um, A lot of people, and you should read uh, also our Lord's Day paper. We referenced it before. You guys have that. Um, Christ says the the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Christ instructed um, pharisaical teaching regarding keeping of the Sabbath numerous places. Um, And so we should be thinking about the Sabbath more about how God made it to be a delight for us than rules of restriction to make our lives miserable. If you view the Sabbath as this horrible you know, rule list of rules, then you're viewing the Sabbath the wrong way. However, if you view the Sabbath as just, Hey, I have Christian Liberty. This is just any other day. And I'm, I'm going to go to the office and work half the day. And then I'm going to skip church. And, you know, that's not right either, right? God called the Sabbath day to be set apart. So how do we process that? Um, You know, everybody thinks about it differently, and I'm not going to, as I said before, I'm not going to bind your conscience about what you should and shouldn't do exactly, but you should be, as an officer in the church, you should take seriously that God gives us a commandment that says to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's got to mean something, it can't mean nothing. Okay? Now, how I think about it, um, and I'm not going to offer too much because I don't want to, you know, give you too exact details, but it should be primarily first about worship. And it should be different than any other day of the week. So I will work, and I have worked, 24... Now, my job, just caveat, my job has nothing to do with necessity. People don't need iPhones at an emergency on Sunday. Um, Doctors, um, emergency workers, firefighters, there's tons of jobs where there are areas of necessity and mercy, right, that requires... Uh, your vocation on a Sunday. Okay. But I'm not everybody. So the, how do I process, process that? I'll work 24 hours on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to avoid going, doing anything really. If I'm in a big crunch, doing anything on the Sabbath. Um, and again, we talked about God making uh, a path that leads to life and God making a path that, are, that, are, that lead to death. I've got colleagues that if we've got a big deadline they'll work Monday through Friday long hours and then they'll work 10 hour, you know, whatever, 8 hours on Saturday and 8 hours on Sunday and then right back into it on Monday. And those guys just forget worship. Just health, they are just get just get worn out and they become less productive. God made us to stop on a weekly cadence and rest and as a Christian, rest and worship. So I, I think about things in terms of setting it apart, doing it differently, prioritizing worship. Um, recreation, I've heard many people write on this before. A lot of people view, and they take this exception, because they think anything that you do that isn't reading your Bible or praying or being in the church, if you're in the church building, you can have fun, but um, if you're out outside the church building, that's recreation and it's not allowed. Um, I don't think that's true. Uh, David Hall in, his, in, in this manual here wrote a, a little bit about that because it's a very common exception that, and Neil has a lot to say about this too. That's not taking a, a, a walk with your wife or your kids or throwing the frisbee or throwing the football, um, whatever you want to do between worship services is, is a, wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful thing to do and there's nothing wrong with that. David Hall says, some people think the Westminster Confession is too explicit on abstaining from recreations on the Sabbath. and this paragraph is best understood within its context is calling God's people away from worldliness in many forms. I get the question, can I watch NFL football on Sunday? Um, can I watch college football on Sunday? Um, and that's a question for your own heart. If you are a, a, whatever, a fantasy football league guy and you are spending every day of the week like planning your picks and planning the games and, and you're 100% focused on Sunday is who's winning what games and that's what you're consumed with, Well, you probably need to pray to God and ask God if that's the use of, if that's the right use of your time. Um, But I wouldn't say watching a football game in all contexts is wrong uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, If I continue here, when written in the 17th century, certain recreations were beginning to affect church attendance. Hmm. That sound familiar? Um, Little League Baseball, soccer, Uh, The world wants to consume parents with um, sports, because all of us, if we have children, have future Olympic athletes and future NFL stars, future MLB stars, and definitely future, um, uh, what's the soccer cup thing, I can't remember, World Cup Cup athletes, like little Pele's running around, Um, and we should definitely tell them that every opportunity we get, and train them to think that they're better than everybody else. That's a joke. Of course, when compared to today's normal Sunday recreational opportunities, they were much smaller in scale. The fourth commandment is God's gift to man, and we should receive it as such. Call it our delight and keep it holy. It is the chief tool to further the godly aims of human worship. So if you have any questions about how to process the Sabbath day and how to keep it, I can give you insight and thought but the most important thing for you to do is, it means something, be on your knees before the Lord and pray for clarity for how you live out that commandment in your own life. Um, but do it before the Lord and not before the commands of the world that so often dominate our time. As men of God, you need to be more concerned about what God thinks than what anybody else thinks. <clears throat> okay, um, now, pull out that position paper on the corporate worship of God. Um, we wrote this paper, uh, in case you haven't known, I'll talk about this a little bit more in the, in the discussion of the session, but it's important to, we have standards, and then the, the standards get applied in different churches in different ways. And there are significantly more liberal churches um, in our presbytery and in our city uh, than Christ's covenant, and some of them, even PCUSA churches, call the Westminster Confession of Faith their doctrinal standards. Um, so it's important in certain areas for us to, as a, as a church to, to write down what we believe and how we apply the truth of God's Word um, and why we do that and then build off of it. So as, when elders and deacons come into the church, come into the, into the session, we're not having a new slate of everybody reinventing the wheel one of the questions you'll be asked if you uh, are to be examined is, do you uh, agree with all prior decisions made by this session? And these prior decisions would be, some of them would be captured in things like this. Um, and these things aren't infallible by any means. In fact, you know, we make corrections when we make mistakes. Um, but we, it, we're trying to write down how we apply the standards in God's word and how we live those things out in practical decisions. And then we build off that. Um, So this is a statement uh, and some biblical reference for what we have in worship um, and other things we don't. Um, So prayer, reading of scripture, sound preaching and faithful hearing of the word. You'll see these things reflected in the words I just said from the confession, singing of Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I'm going to do an aside on that in a second Um, confession of faith in Christ, Presentation of tithes and offerings. Solemn vows at different times. That would be membership vows, um, vows of baptism. Um, and then the sacraments, Lord's Supper um, and baptism. Um, God's Word is revealed to us in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. is central to the worship at Christ's covenant. Um, as we go through our order of worship, uh, the Word is prayed, sung, read, confessed, preached, and faithfully heard, we pray, during our service. Um, so let me see. Is, do I have a piece of that? Can I have one of those? Corporate worship of God. Is there an extra one? Yeah, thanks. So we have a brief uh, statement on the essential elements, which I just showed you, Um, an explanation of the sacrament and the intents of the sacraments, and then the order of worship. Now, I want to just highlight this because everything we do here uh, in the order of worship is intentional. Um, And by regulative principle, we mean we don't do anything in worship, and we take it very seriously that God that we don't believe God specifically calls us, commands us to do when we gather for worship. So um, as an elder in the church, I'm the elder, along with Neil, I'm the elder over worship. So we'll talk about this in the session. We have different responsibilities that we divide things up. Um, One of my jobs is stewarding worship, and Neil Neil and I are are that team. Um, There's other teams like um, Mercy and Hospitality, Marshall's. A uh, big head on that one. <clears throat> um, anyway, there's other teams we'll talk about. Um, but as uh, the elders in the church, our job is to steward um, the worship service. And we take very seriously the call to worship and the benediction. And that's because everything before the call to worship is not worship. Everything after the benediction is not worship. Okay? So what we do between the call to worship and the benediction. Um, we believe God regulates other things. Outside of that, not so much. We have much more freedom. So you'll see us doing announcements, um, you know, acknowledging anniversaries, birthdays, um, talking about you know acknowledging veterans on a specific holiday or whatever. A lot of that, all before the call to worship, and then we we remind you all purposefully. Uh, that we're about to be called into worship, prepare your hearts. Um, we're about to consider something uh, bigger than ourselves, something that's been running throughout the ages uh, that points us to eternity uh, and is a foretaste of where what we will be doing for eternity and singing praises to God after God calls us into worship. And then when the benediction happens, that's the end of that time. And what's in between is... A conversation with God. Have um, any of you seen our little divine dialogue sheets? The little uh, tabs that we put in the pews. It's a little explanation Has anybody seen it? Okay, we need to. Maybe we need to make sure look for them today, and perhaps we need to print more of those. The intent is people coming into our church. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? pull that little thing out, and you get to understand what worship means. And hopefully that's an evangelistic tool for visitors and also an education opportunity for all of us as we remind ourselves. Um, Now, if you look on the back page of that paper, um, this walks through our order of worship. Um, And this idea of divine dialogue, God speaks to us and we respond. That's That's the exchange that happens in worship. That's what makes worship active and not passive. God speaks to us by first calling us to worship. And then we turn around and respond with a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song and singing back to God. The congregation responds in singing. Um, we respond in prayer to God. Um, we <clears throat> um, God speaks to us through uh, His Word, the reading of the Scriptures, uh, the preaching of the Word is a critical part. That's the reading of God's word and then the applying of God's word to our hearts, and in that moment, uh, the the why, uh, Pastor Stewart, um, uh, Pastor Lockhart today, uh, why Pastor Marsh a few weeks ago uh, wears a black robe? There's a couple of reasons. It has its origin in uh, the educational um, aspect of. Uh, the Ministerial Office in the Presbyterian and other churches it's a it's a it 's an important uh, a pastor a preacher in the church um, is trained there 's an education aspect to it and so that that in some aspect acknowledges this unique office of god 's mouthpiece um, in the worship service that the pastor has it 's different from everybody else that 's one reason the other reason is because as when, the, when Neil or Kyle or Pastor Marsh a few weeks ago or Paul, anybody that's coming to our pulpit, um, when they enter that pulpit and they have the gown on, God is speaking. That's the conversation part where God is speaking to us. Okay? Now, does is that person ever, um, the, you know, we have uh, distortions of that view in the Roman Catholic Church where the Pope um, can speak infallibly and has a, a lot more... Um, Um, unbiblical view of his role than um, the way we view the the pastoral office but as so far everything is balanced by the word as so far as the as the pastor is preaching the word of god he is speaking from god to us okay Um, and so the robe in some ways helps us to not see the man so much not be distracted by his big bow tie or his you know, socks that don't match or whatever, um, but be focused on the office that he is um, that he is serving in in God's mouthpiece in the worship service. Um, so that is a part, important part of um, how we view what's going on in the worship service. Um, God speaks to us through His Word, through preaching, and then we respond in songs and prayers um, in the confession of faith. Um, very important part. As we, there's an aspect of of what we do in worship is bigger than each of us individually, right? And that's a hard thing to get because we all want to think of ourselves as new and better and we come up with great things all by ourselves and that's how we bring profit to the world, um, maybe in business or whatever, because we're smarter than everybody else. And, you know, many of us have done things, but if we're honest with ourselves in business, the only thing that you've really done is perhaps connected the dots of, that were already there by someone that came before you. Maybe you connected them in a different way. Maybe you didn't. You just kind of kept connecting them in the way that they did and carried on what they were doing. Um, and that's what we do in in worship as well. Christians, for since the beginning of the church, have been confessing the Nicene Creed, right? Um, and we acknowledge that in our service. This started in three-something, 300. It's in our We, we have it. <laughs> church history class. I'll remember it then. Um, apostles creed when we do uh responsive readings from the psalms we're reading the psalm and and responding back and forth this is god's word and christians have been doing this and it's a good reminder to understand throughout the history of the church we're standing with brothers and sisters throughout time and into the future that will worship god in the same way um okay so any questions on on worship before i do an aside really quickly Um, we're going to talk, uh, in member service in the church in a few weeks on the role of women in the church and their role. Um, so I won't hit that now if you're wondering about that, but we will in some detail, um, and the, uh, our church's view on, um, women's roles in the church. Um, not, uh, not obviously not, a ordained, Women are not part of the ordained offices in the church, but they have a very important role to play. Um, Okay, so I want to do a little aside on psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So men oftentimes can get really, you know, you can resonate with what I just said, right? Regular principle. We'll do what God says and nothing else, and we'll hold it because we're strong, right? And that's our job. Hold the line. Um, However, we kind of gloss over uh, the fact that God tells us to, you know, most of the things I just went through, most of the opportunities we have to respond to God, to talk back, when somebody speaks to you, it's appropriate to speak back, is in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, in the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, This is the way God gave us to talk to Him. Um, Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Um, some men love the opportunity to sing, cherish it. Uh, some men can't have no understanding of pitch, but they don't care because they're singing in their heart, uh, melodies that God makes right because they're praises to God. Um, some men, uh, some men can sing and they do a a, a good job singing and it's nice for other people to hear too. Other men and a lot of other men, and our boys who are watching us, men, just don't, because it's not what men do. It's feminine. Uh, you're self-conscious. I mean, pick your pick your thing. How many? Of, if you're honest, every guy in this room would raise his hand and say, at some point in your life, uh, you felt embarrassed or like you were too cool. Think all the way back to like five or six to sing in church, or you're annoyed by it, or whatever. If you're honest most of you, maybe not all, most of you would confess that truth. Um, now, why are we that way? Well, the answer is simple. It's sin. But I want to I challenge you as men uh, to set an example for your boys and to take serious and your daughters. But I mean, if I look in my crew, my uh, little girl is singing out like crazy and my boys are kind of, you know, mopey and I don't want to do this, and you know, I'm not, it's just, that's the way we're wired. I don't know why, Um, but let me give you a couple things on why singing is so, is so fundamental. Three points, Um, actually four points, but I'll walk them real quick. Um, Why sing? Well, simple, because the Bible tells us to. Um, If you go to Job 38, you see uh, Job in a bad place, and God transitions in Job 38 and starts talking about, hey, Um, let's talk about something here where were you when i made the earth and he talks about when the morning stars sang together at creation from then all the way to the final consummation of everybody being under uh, the lordship of christ in revelation chapter 7 there is singing at the end at the beginning and at the end and everywhere in between um the Bible contains 400, over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. The, bulk of, the book of Psalms, we have a, the, the psalm book, the Psalter. The book of Psalms is a book of songs. Uh, in Zephaniah chapter 3, God tells us that he himself sings. Jesus sang with his disciples in Matthew 26. We have psalms that give us a song for every occasion. For songs to sing when we're hurting, when we're filled with thanksgiving. Uh, songs calling for god's strength um all these are uh in our repertoire in the in the psalter and we sing them um and in the new testament in ephesians 5 and colossians chapter 3 we're commanded when we gather to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs if you got a bible open it up i didn't throw this one on a slide open it up to colossians chapter 3 i want to highlight this real quick Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Um, This is the word of God. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. And then in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's three things we see there in Colossians chapter 3 teaching and admonition, let the word of Christ dwell in you. These things are all connected. And the thing that follows is teaching and admonishment while singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The music, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs serve the Word in a unique way, right? In something that, in in a God-created way that's that's unique only to music that is uh, a part of God's plan. The other aspect of this is together. As we gather, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, music serves the Word. So how does music serve the Word? Um, In case you didn't notice, I cut and uh, did some snippets from a sunday school class i did on this but i want it to bring i want you to bring it to your attention here um why does singing serve the word so singing helps us um some of this come there's some references down here there's not actually but some of this um there's a few books i want to show you um First off, uh, the same man that wrote the manual for officer training, uh, David Hall, along with Jonathan Master, wrote a book called On Reforming Worship. Um, their Reformation Worship Conference, where Jim and I met Neil for the first time, what is a conference where um, yearly, year over year, they have, and they've taken a break here for the past couple of years, but year over year, they have encouraged churches like ours um, to reform uh, their worship and to maintain reformed worship. This is a great book. Um, um, I think he does have a piece in here, yeah. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head which one it is, but I think he contributed here uh, as well. The back's got Joel Beeke Ian Hamilton, and Carl Truman um, that have some uh, words on there. Um, with Reverence and All is a good book. We approach God in worship with reverence and all. That's a great book. Um, as an elder in the church, um, you're called at times to publicly pray. Um, I didn't mention that in the corporate worship service, but um, pastors do, and when we pray... Um, again, that's God's response. That's the congregation's response to God speaking to us. But when we are publicly, as leaders in the church, when we're publicly praying, we're doing so uh, in a way that's bringing everybody, or we should be doing everything to bring everybody's prayers through the words spoken by one person, right? So as, as, a, as the pastor or elders are praying publicly, hopefully those, those words are resonating in your heart and you're offering those up. Um, to God. You're speaking to God in your heart with those words. Uh, Matthew Henry wrote a great book called A Way to Pray. Um, We've referred people to this before. Um, It's a great way to think about prayer as speaking God's word to God. Um, Great examples in here of how to do that. Um, And then some of this content came from this book, um, uh, uh, James Boyce, Give Praise to God. It's a great book. Um, Derek Thomas and Ligon Duncan have got some stuff in here. They contributed to the editing of it. Um, so those are all some good books. And then <clears throat> Bob Coughlin did Bob Coughlin is from sovereign grace music. Uh, some of the stuff that we do uh, in the category of spiritual songs is, um, uh, was written by him and he gave a couple talks on worship and that I found helpful in talking about this. So, um, The good news is worship isn't until 11, so we're going to dwell here a little bit. Um, So why sing? Singing helps us engage emotionally with words in no other way, right? We can speak all day long, we can tell the truth, but when we sing, something else happens. Our emotions are engaged. Um, And if you think about the way throughout history, Christians have tried to harness that, um in a way that's honoring to God and it's often sometimes a challenge we talk about what we're going to sing in worship that's one of the elders most difficult duties is to uh define what we're going to sing uh, in worship and what we're not going to sing um but for example some tunes um anybody know um lingam uh, Psalm 98 old sing a new song to the lord Da-da-da-da, that 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 um beautiful back and forth desk camp between the men and the women. Um, it's a wonderful majestic, often a call a, a hymn of praise at the beginning of the service. um anybody heard the tune aberswith it's a D minor very reflective uh, sometimes paired with psalm ninety eight or psalm five I'm sorry um, <laughs> <am I> right <laughs> it makes you just stop and say i mean you're you're you get immediately i am reflective the minor the minor um, tunes are (sighs) capture lament capture um not joy and excitement but reflection um, which is a mood and a tone in some of the psalms Um, um and that, those, 1803 was that tune, that D minor, Aberystwyth, 1879. <clears> Old <throat> um, Sacred Head Now Wounded. Um, Clairvaux, 1091 to 1153 was roughly where that tune came from. And then Horatio Spafford as well with My Soul, 1873. <laughs> Everybody knows uh, those words and the majestic kind of building upon reliance of God. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. So you can say that, and then you can sing it with uh, the music and the crescendo and the building, and then the understanding that that this guy is writing this in the midst of his children and wife dying on a trip across the ocean, uh, and you realize what it means. Uh, as, that, as those verses build and, the, and the, the, even the, the, the um, rhythm um, and, the, and the harmonies build off of each other, uh, what it means to say, even in trial, that it is well with my soul. I can't understand that in the same way uh, unless I sing it. Those words mean less. Uh, than they do when my emotions are engaged through song. Um, So singing helps us engage emotionally with words. I'm sure David could give us numerous other examples. Many of you can too, probably as well. Um, I talked about the uniting of Christians throughout the ages, um, throughout history. Open up your Trinity hymnal and start looking at some things we sing and songs that we sing. Um, Here's a few examples the the gloria Patri, second century holy god we praise your name fourth century let all mortal flesh keep silent fifth century a mighty fortress is our god that's him from martin luther in 1529 um, isaac watt 1707 how sweet and awesome is this place and can it be that i should gain charles wesley 1738 john newton 1779 amazing grace um, however and it's also important to note that these early times and some churches just say the only good song is the one that's you know a few hundred years old that's not true people are making wonderful music now and wonderful praise reverent all-filled music Um, and the trinity psalter uh, which we don't have in the church in this church right now it's one of the things that we would consider in the new building but it is um, basically the Trinity Hymnal's continuation of work that includes psalter selections that are easily singable. And also, they pull in other songs that are, that are good, solid, uh, spiritual songs and have pulled these into, into the hymnal um, recently. The 2002, uh, the Gettys in 2006, uh, we sing in Christ Alone, we sing Speak, O Lord. Those are just a few examples. We, when we think about what we sing in church um, and in the worship service, we want to be outside of time, okay, where it's not like the only thing, if it's, if it's written between, you know, 1600 and 1850, um, then that's a good, that's, that's the only time in the history of the church that there was any reverence in in song. That's not true, right? Um, however, we're also not in the camp where everything that's old is worthless, right? God, Christians, this, this, this uh, repertoire that's been throughout the ages, we want to harness and grasp. Um, so how do we choose what's sung in worship? Um, three principles. Are they singable? Okay. So there's many churches you can go to now where the music is extremely complicated and people sit and watch because they can't understand how to sing it because it's too difficult. Okay. So again, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is, is the activity of the congregation, not of the praise band or the music team. Okay. If you have a praise band or a music team or a group that's leading and singing, their role, and this is needs, it needs to be clearly understood their role is to only, is to assist, not sing for, assist the congregation to do the responsive singing. so is it singable? Are the words singing theologically sound? God tells us to be instructed by the word that we sing so um, we usually don't sing um, songs that are just one word repeated with um, you know just nothing but. We, the emotion part is important, but we're connecting emotions with words. So if we just sing "Holy, Holy, Holy" and play a guitar riff, and play and sing "Holy, Holy, Holy" guitar riff, "Holy, Holy, Holy," all right. Let's let's now move and sway. "Holy, Holy, Holy." Continue the guitar riff. That's kind of cool, but that's not that's not worship, okay? Um, and then the last one are our emotions balanced and mature. So everything should be done decently in good order, um, and so. Um, this aspect of of reverence and awe and worshiping in spirit and truth is a is a balance that we have to keep, okay. And the question that we ask ourselves often in worship, and we're trying to understand these things, is: Are we setting up a an environment of of entertainment or worship? Okay. And a lot of churches get messed up uh, in worship by entertaining rather than Worshiping, okay, so take great care in um, in anything that we do in terms of musical selections and worship uh, to intentionally uh, make those things a song of praise and not a uh, a display of someone 's talent right mm-hmm. so it 's why I mean most of you know that we don 't you know we could have a wonderful offering and we don't applaud that during the worship service, and our congregation is very mature in that regard and it doesn't happen. And the reason is, is because all of you recognize that um, while it's appropriate to applaud God, it's not appropriate to, in that moment, praise uh, the singer. There's only one audience of our worship, and that is God. And we're offering the worship. Now, you get distorted sometimes. Um, some people get distorted sometimes in worship services because our culture wants to set us in a movie theater and set us up to um, discern right, the value of what's happening before. So I come to worship uh, in some churches, or it might be, I might have this line of thinking, that I come to worship to, to be filled with some spirit, to get something, right? We're coming to worship to offer, okay, to offer first, and then God fills us up with his word. Um, okay, so sing. Um, there's nothing more powerful, uh, well, there's some things, but uh, there's, it's an exciting thing to go to a presbytery meeting with, or a synod meeting where there's hundreds and hundreds of men in a sanctuary gathered, um, men of God standing and singing to the top of their lungs, some of these mighty hymns, men that aren't embarrassed to, um, praise forth, um, the, the goodness of God. So I encourage you to, to consider those things, um, Third position paper on our sanctuary. Um, So another book that we've used a lot um, as we've shaped what we've done and as we continue to to go about the the job of creating a a sanctuary here shortly um, is this book by Brugnick and Droppers called Christ in Architecture. Um, It's one of the only references that I know of of church architecture from a reformed uh, perspective there's lots of stuff on church architecture um, you know the Roman cathedrals um, throughout Europe um, and <clears throat> there's elements of truth in a lot of these in, in a lot of things you see um, and in a sanctuary there's uh, there's the the on display hopefully the transcendence and eminence of God. Um, and people take different directions uh, with church architecture. Even modern uh, directions are to spend the, you know, absolutely lowest amount of money possible. Um, and, um, however, um, Christ and Architecture draws out a point here that I think is a great quote. <clears throat> um, our architecture is our surroundings, right? Um, what is around us and what that, how that has an effect on us. And this quote from this book uh, says, architecture for churches is a matter of gospel. A church that is interested in proclaiming the gospel must also be interested in architecture. For year after year, the architecture of the church proclaims a message that either augments the preached word or conflicts with it. If the gospel of Christ is worthy of accurate verbal proclamation week by week, it is also worthy of faithful architectural proclamation where its message speaks year after year. So with what we do in our sanctuary, how we set it up, how we order things, where people are seated, where the choir is, if we have one, where the pianos are, where uh, the preacher is, where the Lord's supper table is, where the font is, all these things communicate implicit messages, right? You see these things and they say something about priority, about um, many things. Um, And the goal, what we seek to do at Christ's Covenant, and it's spoken about here shortly on this one-page paper, um, is everything that we do in the sanctuary, uh, we seek to do to encourage and add to the explicit proclamation of what we have in our services. Implicit in in how we set up the room and the things around us, and explicit in the word preached. So very simply, yeah. Question?
1: That's right. And so it's not like you're making this stuff up from new. It's, it's just readopting the old Reformation
0: pattern. That's right. That's right. it's very uncommon today. I, I would challenge, uh, it's very rare that you're going to see a church where the piano, especially in a room like ours, is in the back. Um, Zach, did you have a question? yeah and that's always a i mean you know how how nice is how nice is too nice right how much money should you spend um yeah, I think it's less about it should be less about money and it should be more about beauty and authenticity um and i mean if you look at architectural trends um over the past hundred years, you get a lot of move in modern architecture, and this is an aside, so sorry for this, but you get a lot of move into kind of these square buildings with big windows that this has nothing to do with church. It's just an observation. Um, big buildings, square windows, where the priority is placed on how I feel in my house inside looking out. Everything inside, beautiful. Um, um, however, you know, Christians, it's not always the case. If you have a modern house, I'm not, I'm not ridiculing you. But um, <clears throat> there's a certain, certainly in a church, there's a certain aspect of the watching world from the outside, right? Looking at beauty architecturally on the outside as a testimony, whether whether you like it or not, it is a testimony, right? Now, what is it saying? Um, Some would argue that the trends in modern architecture over the years are, are, are saying you know, I don't really care what I look like to those watching me from the outside. What I care about is how my views are on the inside and how the house feels on the inside and the most efficient way to make a really comfortable space for me um, inside. Right? However, some would argue that you know, making a beautiful uh, exterior proclaims that this building is for, a, is for a purpose and I care about others around me and they, how they feel about looking at my piece of property or my house. Um, And some would argue that the church should be, you know, on a level above. We should feel like we're going to a a better place in terms of beauty than our own houses. Um, Is is that true for everybody? No. There's a wide variety of, you know, people and income levels and all those kind of things that play into the decisions you make in those ways. Um, But it's not neutral, right? Um, We want people to feel some of the as I said, the transcendence and the imminence of the Word of God in when they gather in the church, and then they want to under, we want to understand what we're doing. We don't want to have a we don't have a race car track <clears throat> in the sanctuary because we're not racing cars, right? We're worshiping God. So, if we're trying to 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 emphasize a divine dialogue, we want to set the room up so that there is a communication and response, and that is the nature of the. There's communication and response. There's not also a a, um, a movie or not also a, um, you know, a, an opportunity to, for someone to, to, to worship and we watch them, there's God speaking and us responding. And that, that is why we put, that's why the piano is in the back. That's why, um, when we bought this building and exchanged it, that's why we took what was, you know, basically half the room that was a, that was the stage and blew up concrete and cut it all the way back to the back and put that pulpit in the very center so that the pastor can address an angle like this, the people, uh, as opposed to basically half the congregation up on the front playing music for the people down in the, in the seats. Um, so central is the pulpit. It's intentionally higher than everything else. The seats are below so that you're looking up at the pulpit um, as opposed to looking down, that's not that critical. But a lot of people would say um, that uh, the movie theater style uh, is a kind of venue set up for um, entertainment and also set up for judgment in a way, right? You're sitting above, looking down, and kind of assessing the 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 um, skill or the or what you know the um, the talent of what's below you um that's a little bit that's I, i've read that before that's a little bit of a reach but it's um there's some truth in it um and then the word is central the sacraments are only they only make sense in the context of the word and that's what we see right um so you have the font representing the sacrament of baptism and the the lord's supper it's often confused in some churches it's not an altar, right? Um, this is not just a Catholic thing. It, 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 it's obviously that way in the Roman Catholic Church, but many churches have adopted speaking about the Lord's Supper table as an altar, um, or using it as a using it as a you know a decoration stand if you're not having the Lord's Supper. Um, and that's a big point that um, Brugger makes in this Christ in Architecture book that even when we're not celebrating the Lord's Supper, those piece, or having a baptism, those pieces are there to remind us. Um, when the word is being preached, that God gave us a means to 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 connect people into the covenant and to administer His grace at different times through the Lord's Supper, and it's not anything other than a table, a family table where the the family meets. And so, on that table should always it should always represent what it is for. A table and the little uh, cup and the plate are always there for that purpose. To not have any confusion, it's not the Lord's Supper table on first Sundays of the month, and flower stand on three Sundays out of the month. Um, so, um, And then this final thing at the end of that paper, um, God's people face the word and the sacraments, and the choir and the musicians, or any, 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 anybody that is participating in the worship service uh, in a musical way is done uh, to undergird and build up the praises. Even if solos, great. Solos are great in worship. Um, um, but uh, it's in worship, a solo is a different thing than um, if you go to a performance, right? The solo is a musical offering of worship that hopefully is resonating in our hearts. Those of us who can't sing, right, um, we can still, at the appropriate time, sing. And, you know, the beautiful thing, in a, in a congregation, we're talking about singing. Maybe there's um, 500 people gathered. Well, God gave... Maybe 20% of those people a true gift of pitch and ability to sing harmony. He gave the other 20% of the people um, like no pitch at all. And even in the in injection locking, mechan, you know, uh, understanding of injection locking waves and engineering makes no sense. It just work, doesn't work. Injection locking is if somebody, uh, you, two oscillators will kind of converge if they are close enough to each other through various things uh, based on physics some people can defy that all day long and then the other the other 60 percent right 60 70 80 90 100 the other 60 percent are people that that draw to those who have the pitch and so you take a whole big congregation and um and usually the the there's leaders in the congregation that and if you are one of those people lead boldly and strongly don't be shy sing out because others suck to you and the singing becomes great. And that's happened in our congregation, our our gathering, our worship music is, and congregational singing is some of the best I've ever heard in a a church. And when we offer a solo, when there's a solo being sung in the church, um, that person, first, we take that seriously. If a person wants to sing a solo for worship and uh, their heart is not worship-oriented, then they probably shouldn't sing a solo in the church. So it starts with the heart of the person wanting to sing. And then, when that person, if their heart is right and they're worshiping, then that song, that solo, um, can be a part of each of the individual members of the congregation who are hearing it, um, song in their heart, right? We're giving, God created beauty. He, got, he created things that are good and true and beautiful. And there's things that are in tune and there's things that aren't, right? And so, let the song that someone who who knows how to sing offers up be the song in your heart, and then when we all sing, offer your song no matter what, because most of the time, unless you're that twenty percent, and we won't tell you who you are, most of the time that unless you're that twenty percent, you'll suck to the guy or the lady that has the pitch, and the, and the result will be wondrous. Um, okay, so I intended to spend almost all the time on worship, and I have. Um, if you want to look, hopefully you've read the discipleship um, paper. Um, the discipleship paper talks about how we grow as Christians, um, and it starts, no surprise, with worship. Um, that's our primary uh, mode. Uh, that's our primary means to, to, that we think God uses to grow people. Um, but there's other opportunities too, um, and we call it layers of discipleship. Um, the first layer, if you can do it, we often talk about If you don't have any time in your life at all, but you only have one hour a week, free, come to worship. If you've got two hours a week, come to evening worship. Or maybe maybe four hours. <laughs> but if you've got that time, come to worship. If you've got more time, then there's, ne- then there's other opportunities. There's next level. So um, we've got men's and women's Bible studies. Those are opportunities to engage. You've got elders who care about you, and we'll talk about shepherding um, later in our, in our sessions. But uh, engage with your elder. Um, we've got Clapham Circles. At various times, we've had different types of um, small group gatherings, whether those are men, women, or couples gathering. Um, take advantage of those things, but understand the priority. Okay? By layers, we mean you know, the most important layer, the core layer. Think of it as an onion. Not sure what you like, the inner part of the onion or the outer part. Or, but if you have a chance to eat part of the onion, worship. And then take advantage of other opportunities as, as Christ grows you um, to maturity okay um, so I kind of like this format we've got some extra time is there any, any, any questions or comments anyone has I'll also close us in prayer and you guys can hang out um, we got about an hour or so or 50 minutes
1: the emphasis on the conscience of the individual. Uh, and they're just, you know, the first passage of scripture they'll go to and that, that I went to as an immature Christian, you know, Romans Romans 14 or Romans 13. Just but this is, you know, as a maturing Christian, I'm really thankful that we have these these types of papers, these types of books to nail down what we believe. Um, and to offer some order. And I think it's a biblical way of doing things. Mm. Uh, like the I mean it goes all the way back to the garden. We were called to make order out of chaos, right? That's right, yeah. And, and this has been a you know, a wonderful experience for me I just wanted to offer that.
0: Well, thank you for thank you for for that observation. I, I think it's it is important to consider I mean, in our, in, most, in our lives, we're trained in the world and we're honestly just trained in our own heart that what's most important is us, right? And you know, a leader in the church has to be first to say, um, what matters first is what God says. And then if what I say is contrary to that, then God, please change my heart. Right. And so the most important job of an elder uh, in the church um, and a deacon to some extent, although there's different roles that we'll talk about, but uh, certainly as a leader in the church is to discern um, God's will and care about what it is to the point that you pursue it. So. Thank you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you and for these men and um, for the ability that we have to gather today and worship you. I pray that you would fill us up in opportunities that you give us in our lives um, to uh, see you in creation, uh, see the work of your hand in providence in our lives, in our families, uh, help us to train our children and those under our care Um, uh, to have hearts filled with praise and awe and guide us as a church as we continue to grow our numbers and those uh, in our leadership um, to pursue your will uh, in spite of maybe our own desires or the directions or leanings of the world Um, but help us to do these things with all humility Uh, it's so easy to be self-righteous about things like words like regulative principles. And um, it's so easy to be self-righteous and overly uh, pious and arrogant, honestly, that we know everything and know the right way. Uh, and I pray that you would give us humble hearts that desire to pursue your will uh, and not our own. Um, as we interact with brothers and sisters that are coming in to visit our church, I pray that our Building would be warm and attractive and a comfortable place uh, where the truth can be spoken and your Holy Spirit can work in the lives of the people gathered uninhibited uh, by us and the things that we uh, do. Uh, I pray that you would bless uh, the worship service today to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.